it's not for once or try, and I promise you that. Um, good to see you this morning. Um, meet it. The message this morning is the truth about church. That's what I want to talk about this morning, the truth about church. Um, anyone excited to be here this morning? Anyone kind of, yeah, that's good. Hey, that's it, I like that. I wasn't expecting that response. I was kind of thinking I'm going to have to build this up or maybe get, you know, whip something up or whatever. What, what is your kind of expectation this morning? Have you come, I'm going to be looking at my notes more than usual this morning. Have you come excited, expecting, ready to believe, ready in faith to receive? Has anyone come in that position this morning? Hopeful. Anyone hopeful this morning? I'll take hopeful. I'll go with hopeful. Hopeful is not bad. Listen, here's the thing, right? That's not a bad starting point, hopeful. But do you know this, that your mental state determines more about what you get out of this message than anything else? Think about that for a moment. Your mental state determines more about what you get out of this message than I would say virtually anything else. Listen to this for a minute. Your mental state, that is your attitude, your mood. What is your mood like this morning? It is your frame of mind, uh, your disposition. All of these words, if you look at mental state in the Oxford Dictionary, they are words to describe your mental state, your frame of mind, your disposition. Think about the word disposition for a moment. Included in that word is position. What is your position this morning? Think about the word position, right? When people talk about position, the the Oxford Dictionary puts it like this. It says, it gives examples of position, okay? It, It says it's especially when it affects what they can and cannot do. You're thinking position, what they can and cannot do. He said to his colleagues, I'm in a difficult position. The financial position is not very good. I'm afraid I am not in a position to help you. She felt she was in a position of power. What would you do in my position? It says in the Oxford Dictionary. And what I want to get across, what I want to get across to you is your position this morning, the Oxford Dictionary there is talking all about your position is in your environment, where you are, where you work, your country that you're in, maybe the family you're in, maybe your background, maybe the church you're in, whatever. But your position, your position of mind is far more powerful than where you are than the environment you are in. Do you realize you can change the environment that you were in? Have you noticed it's gone a little bit hush and a little bit quiet? Imagine if one or two started really cheering and really going for it. What would happen to this environment? Do you think others would catch on? Do you think it would pick up? Do you think people would get more and more excited? Do you think that might inspire you? Did anyone see the England game the other night? Anyone see, the, anyone see the England game the other night? Yeah, one, at least one in, in the room. The England game the other night, 
it, I watched it, literally, I'm not really that interested in England football games, but I watched it for one reason and one reason only, because it was being played behind closed doors. So it was, it was England against Croatia, and it was in Croatia, and basically Croatia, they'd done some political symbol. I think there'd been some racism that had gone on over the years, but basically UEFA had come to a, a decision that they were going to enforce that they had to play a particular game with no crowd, literally in an empty stadium. Apart from the, t- from the team and the subs and the managers and a few press, that was it. It was in an empty stadium. So I watched it for that. I was like, I didn't watch the whole game, but I thought, I really want to see the game. And what on earth is a football game like in an empty stadium? And to a man leading up to it, all the commentary was, is this going to affect the players? And afterwards it was, that affected the players. The lack of crowd, the environment that they were in, affected some of the players, but not all of them. And, and it affects things, doesn't it? The environment that you are in, but you get to choose your environment and you get to change your environment and it is called faith. And I want to encourage you this morning. I want to really, really encourage you this morning. The thing that has changed my life more than anything else, more than anything else, apart from that first initial moment when I got to know God, because I didn't know God from, from growing up as a child. I wasn't introduced to God. My parents didn't talk about God or anything like that. But the thing that changed my life more than anything else was preaching. Literally preaching. And I don't mean, you might think, I mean standing up here and preaching to you. I don't mean that. I mean sat where you are listening to the preacher. Anyone been affected by a sermon? By a message? Anyone kind of like one little thing in a message just transformed your life. When I think about that, I think about sermons in this church that I've listened to. I think about going to Bradford and going over to Life Church there and listening to Paul Scanlon preach. I think about going down to London. I think about one one occasion when I was when I was ill and I really needed healing and I'd heard about this church in Birmingham and literally driving down to Birmingham. Oh, right, move it over. Is it is it a bit poppy? Is it is that better? Yeah, I think about driving down to Birmingham and, and going to listen to a preacher. It's still doing it, isn't it? If I'm, is that better there? Can you still hear me if I do it like that? Is that okay, yeah? Yeah, going down to Birmingham and, and literally on my own to go and listen to a, a sermon because I felt like that was going to change my life, and it did. I can still remember to this day what he said. In fact, his opening words in the sermon, it wasn't in my notes this to say this either, he talked about doctors, and he was talking about healing this, this preacher. And he said this, he said, how many of us have gone to the doctor and not got healed? We've gone there over a sickness over, or over a, you know, a, an issue and you've gone there and the doctor's not been able to sort it out for you. Anyone been in that position? Probably most of us, yeah? How many of us then, after that, said, that's it, I am never ever going to a doctor again and have never been to a doctor since? No. You just wouldn't, would you? You just wouldn't go, well, that's it. You didn't hear me that time, so I'm not going again. I'm not listening to you. I'm not believing you again. I'm not going to a doctor. No, we go to doctors because we know they can help us. We may not understand why they weren't able to help us on that one occasion or two occasions or however many times it was, but we don't sit there and go, well, that's it. I'm never going to a doctor again. And what he was saying was, how many of us do that with God? 
We don't get what we want, so we go, oh, that's it now, I'm not going to God again because I didn't get what I wanted on that occasion. And I thought, wow. I, you know, I, I thought that was a great, I thought I deserved an amen. It wasn't my message that bad away, it was someone else's. But our disposition, our disposition affects what you get out of this message more than anything else. I could preach an absolute storm. Hopefully, I can encourage you and improve your disposition and get you to be you know, encouraged and in a position of faith. But it largely comes down to yourself. If you're going to sit there with your arms folded, sorry, that wasn't at you there in the corner. I wasn't meaning you, Phil. But if you're going to sit there with your arms crossed, with your head down, and yeah, okay, then uh, you won't get anything. Whereas if you sit there with the right attitude, if you sit there expectant, you are more inclined to get what you want. I heard a story about a, a, a guy, and he, was, he, he had a couple of people come to him for help. He, he was a, a guy who could help people. And he had a couple of different people come to him for help. And the first one that came, he, he talked to them and he said, okay. And he, he went through and he, he gave them examples of what they could do to get help. And, and it didn't work. They didn't get any help. And then the next person came and he did pretty much the same thing. He didn't really do anything much better or much worse. And then he, he, he was asking and, and going through it and there was an audience there and he was going through the situations and he, trying to figure out what it was, what was the difference between the two. And guess what came out? The first person was like, weren't really too bothered whether he got anything or not. The second person was a woman. I don't remember her exact situation, but I do remember one particular thing about a situation. It was this. Her husband had promised her a brand new car if she sorted this situation out. Why do you think she got healed? Why do you think she got sorted? Why do you think she got what she wanted? She was determined. She was in a frame of mind to get what she wanted. And you know, when I read the Bible and, and, and I read through, listen, I believe healing and, and everything we need, the source is God. Everything comes from God. Everything good that I've ever had in my life has come from God. But when I read the Bible over and over again, I hear Jesus saying to people time and time again, go, your faith has made you well. Anyone read that? Your faith has made you well. Come on, come on. Your faith has made you well. And what I'm getting at here is you have a part to play. You have a part to play. Your faith, your disposition, your attitude, your belief. Your belief that God can help you, that God can heal you, that God can sort your situation out has a part to play in this. Has a part to play in this. I want to talk about the truth about church. And, you know, in, in my life, when I think about church and, and what it's done for me, one thing that, that really sticks out when I was really thinking about it, about this sermon, is there were more things going against me. It really kind of came to me early hours of this morning and I thought to myself, do you know what? There's been so many things going against me in my life, in my background, in my upbringing, you name it. You, you, you could rattle them off. I don't want to do it because I don't want to sit here and have a pity party about how bad my life was growing up or this or that or the other. Didn't, you could talk about environment that I grew up in. You could talk about accent. You could talk about whatever. Loads of different things you could talk about. 
But here's the thing, right? There was one or two things. When I look back over my life, there were one or two things in my life that I did have going for me. And if I had 99 things against me, the one that was for me was far more powerful than all the other 99 put together. And I'm on about God-given gifts, God-given talents. You may be sitting there thinking, yeah, but Barry, I've not got this about me. I've not got that about me. I can't do what you do. Listen, I probably can't do what you do. We are all unique. We all have unique giftings and talents and whatever. But I want to tell you this, the one is far more powerful than the 99 that you have against you. The one, the one thing is far more powerful. The one for is more. The one for is more. It really, really is. But preaching has changed my life. Jesus said in Matthew 10, he sent the disciples out and he said, freely you have received, now freely give. God's sole purpose for his creation when he sent those disciples out, when Jesus sent those disciples out, his sole purpose for them was to create, was to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. And Jesus' sole purpose for that gospel, his ministry on earth, was to see us saved and was to see us in a community of believers. In a community of believers. In a community. Um, Paul, who was over the churches at the time, he spoke to the one in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, Paul spoke to this church. It was, the, the, the book is named after the church. It was the church of Corinth. And Paul said to this church, he said, your meetings, your community is doing more harm than it is good. Your community, your meetings, your church, if you like, is doing more harm than it is good. There are issues in your church. And I want to talk this morning about five things, five key areas where we need to be aware of. We need to make sure that we're not a part of those areas causing harm to the church and where we have a responsibility to look out for to make sure that we are part of a healthy and a strong community because church is community. And if you want to see church do well, we've all got a part to play in that. And it all comes from community. And the first one, I want to talk firstly, I just want to address each one, but I want to talk about the issues that we all face and the problems that we all have with these things. The first one is leadership. Leadership. If I'm honest, I never liked being in a, a, a position where someone else was leading. Anyone here enjoy that? It kind of goes against our pride, doesn't it? To be in a position where someone else is leading, it goes against our kind of everything in us that doesn't like being told what to do, that doesn't like kind of being corrected, doesn't like being led. We've maybe got our own ideas of how we want things to be. So leadership, strong leadership, is a real hindrance to church. It actually, people don't like it. It goes against us. The second thing is sacrifice. 
Another thing that kind of really works against church is sacrifice. The idea that we've got to go and do something that maybe isn't for our benefit. We've got to do something that doesn't go for us. We've got to do something that's maybe uncomfortable. Anyone kind of, it's cold, it's wet, it's raining, it's dark now on a Sunday morning. Anyone kind of like, oh, I could stay in bed. To come to church on a Sunday morning, you've got to get up early. You've got to sacrifice your lie-in. You've got to maybe come out when the weather's not good. Maybe you're ill and you've got to kind of turn up. You know, Paul has been working for us for a year, just over a year. And he said to us the other day, and he's absolutely right. Do you know, in, in over a year, right, he's not had a single day off work. Not a single day off work. Sorry, oh, yeah, he's had annual leave, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in sickness. I mean, in sickness. Now, I'm not saying there's not occasions when, you know, we're, we're ill and we literally can't get into work, right? We all have occasions when that's the case. But do you know that kind of, Paul's, I know Paul has come into work on occasions when, when he's been ill. When he's been, he's nodding away in the background there. Anyone who, if you turn around, you can kind of see him nodding away there. I know Paul has rocked up to church, to church, well, church as well, but to work particularly when he's been too ill to do it. When he's kind of been feeling under the weather, but he's turned up, he's come. And, you know, it, it, turning up to, to, to church, it can be difficult at times, can't it? Maybe there's a football match on you want to watch. Maybe there's a, a sale on it next it's getting, in fact, are we, are we at the next sale yet? It must be coming up around this time, isn't it? When the seasons change, the next sale starts and people get up at four in the morning to, to make it there so they can go and get a bit of a bargain and stuff like that. You know, maybe, maybe there's something going on. Maybe there's an event going on. And the idea of coming to church, the idea of every single Sunday being about church, that's a sacrifice, isn't it? Is that a sacrifice? Yeah, I'd say that's a sacrifice. I'd say that's a thing that would go against us. Third one is team. Having to be part of a team. See, having to be part of a team, if you were part of this kind of band, if you said, I want to be part of this band, I want to be part of the, the worship team, guess what? Let me tell you now, I, we want to encourage people to be a part of the team, okay? The, the worship leaders, the guys who are running the team, all of them will, will acknowledge the fact that one of the key things we've said to them is growing the team, getting more people involved. But let me tell you this, if you want to be part of the worship team, guess what? You've got to be part of a team. It's not about you, it's about the team. Because if you just want to get up there and do your own thing, is that going to work? Do you lot want to see a team, a band, where the keyboard player is just going off on their own thing? When the rest of the band are trying to bring the music down so that maybe something's sensitive or it's a sensitive part of the song and the keyboard player's ramping it up and going for it. You might have noticed I was looking for it. I saw it this morning. I'm, I'm, well, I might be wrong on it, but it looked like this. It looked like there was an occasion when the drummer had to be told, no, just slow it down a little bit here. Just take it down. Well, if that drummer just went, nah, forget that. I don't want to do that. I want to build the song up. I want to start banging it out. Is that going to work? Anyone want to be part of a, of, a, of, a, of a church where that's going on in the worship team? I think that'd be an absolute disaster. The, so team, team. And, and the issue with it is, is that what happens is, if you want to be part of a church, team is more important than you as an individual. 
Actually, what happens is, you see, at first, it's all about you. At first, God is going out of his way and he's doing everything to get you. And that's right. And that's good because at the point where you're not a part of a church, at the point where you're not a Christian, you are lost. You are lost. And God will move heaven and earth. He'll leave the 99 to go and get you the one. But at that point when you come into the church, God wants to change you. He wants to change you. He wants to change your attitude and your mentality to suddenly it being not about you, but all about everyone else. And that's not easy, is it? Come on, anyone find that easy? No, it's not easy, is it? The fourth one, I love this one. I had so much to write about this one. And I bet you do as well. Diversity. Think about this for a minute. Diversity, right? So I'm from Liverpool. And I moved to Warrington. And I moved to Warrington because I joined a church in Warrington. So I'm suddenly in Warrington, right? I come from Liverpool. I'm surrounded by like-minded people. I'm surrounded by people who, like me, hate Man United. This was before I was a Christian, by the way. I'm Man United fans, okay? And pretty much Cockneys, you name it. We hate them all because we're Liverpool fans and we don't like the rest of them. And suddenly I come to a church in Warrington where there's like, it's full of, there's an Everton fan, there's a United fan, there's a City fan. You name it. In fact, I know there's, a, there's even an Arsenal fan in our church. Did you know? that there is yeah although they're doing quite well at the moment and I'm like you know a few years ago I wouldn't have known which one to punch first (laughs) suddenly I've got to like be friends with these people I've got to like talk in a nice way about their football team I've got to like you know commiserate them when they've lost I've got to like be friendly. There's people who are different to me. There's people who've got different accents to me. There's people who are posher than me. There's people who aren't as posh as me. There's lots of different people in this church. There's people that I wouldn't have given the time of day to a few years ago. Suddenly I've got to kind of like get on with them. I've got to be friends with them. I've got to be nice with them. There's people who are really old. There's people who are really young. There's little ones this high. And I've got to kind of like, you know, consider them and think... There's people who are extremely old and have got a kind of, whereas, whereas as a young person, as a teenager, sometimes you can have that attitude of, ah, the old people, who cares about the old ones and all of that, you know, the granddad and all this kind of stuff. Suddenly I've got to be nice and I've got to kind of think about them. Anyone like that? Anyone naturally just do that? Some of you might, some of you might not. Diversity. Joking aside, it could be interest. It might not be football. It might be that you're a rugby fan and I'm not even interested in rugby. It could be your, your, your race. It could be your status. It could be your age. Any of these things. And the fifth one, the fifth thing that I think we struggle with church is selfishness. And that's where we want church to be a place where we come and we kind of like enjoy it. It's just everything's great. Everything's nice and everything's wonderful. Let me tell you, my experience of churches, it was kind of like that at first. First few weeks, I, I, I was like amazing. It was fantastic, loved it, couldn't get enough of it. In fact, it might have even been the first year or two. And then kind of issues started to happen. And then problems started to happen. Maybe things weren't going the way I wanted them to. Maybe I wasn't doing the things I wanted to, or maybe I wasn't getting the things that I wanted to get. 
And suddenly I didn't like it. I've had times when I've come to church and have not wanted to come. I've hated it. I've been like, I don't want to come here. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be in this. I don't like it. I don't like the direction it's going in. I don't like what's happening. And I don't want to be here. I don't want to be part of this. Maybe it's the songs you don't like. Maybe it's some of the people you don't like. Maybe it's the building or the temperature. I know people who don't want to come to church because they don't like the temperature. And it's not just too cold or too hot. It could be either. Some don't like it because it's too hot. Others don't like it because it's too cold. Others don't like it because of the colour of the walls because it's too dark. Others don't like it because it's too light. It's impossible, isn't it? I preached the other week and I said, what we're trying to do here is literally, it is impossible. What we are trying to do with a church, it's impossible. There's so many things going against. And I suppose the final thing would be, I mean, well, final two things. One would be the message. Because let's be honest about it, the message is challenging at times, isn't it? Yeah? Come on. Some of the stuff it says in the Bible is challenging. And then the final thing is the people. Come on. Sometimes there's people in the church that you just, you just struggle to get along with. Maybe there's been an issue. Maybe there's a problem. Maybe there's a real, real issue there between you and someone else. And you just think, I'd rather not come than, than be a part of this. I'll just stay away. So how do we do it? Because if that was all, if that was it, if that was the, the kind of all there was, just the problems and the issues, then we may as well all pack up and go home, mightn't we? But I, I believe there's more. And in fact, what I want to share with you is if you like, this message is more teaching than preaching this morning. Uh, uh, we, me and Eli went down to, uh, to Liverpool to listen to a, a preacher and he shared five things on, uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday night, and they were that good. I just, I, I, and, and I tell you, when I talked, when I said earlier about one of the things that's changed my life probably more than anything is preaching. And I mean, sat where you are, not stood here preaching at people. I, I sit there, whoever's preaching, I can show you notes upon notes upon notes. I make copious notes. I sit there and I make notes and I listen. I don't always read back over it again, but I believe that in the act of making the notes, I'm concentrated, I'm focused, I'm listening, I'm kind of, I'm acknowledging something that's good. I'm honouring God and what he's done in that preacher that's gone out of the way to prepare something to give me, to try and help me, that I make a note of it and I honour it because I believe that God's speaking to me through the message. So I want to encourage you to do that. I desperately want to encourage you to do that, mainly because it's changed my life. 1 Samuel 10, verses 5 to 6 says this. Says, this is about Saul. This is the point when Saul, the king, one of the kings of Israel, is anointed. Saul is actually becomes the first king of Israel. Okay, this is a point in Israel's history in the Old Testament, that nation where they were looking around at other nations complaining. And one of the things they said was, we just want to be like them. We see them and how they are. And we just want to be like them. They've all got a king, God. Why can't we have a king too? And God warned them and he said, listen, I can give you a king if you want, but you won't like it. It'll be an issue. It'll be a problem. And guess what? They went, no, we don't care. We just want a king. We just want to be like everyone else. We don't care about the problems. Anyone done that? Anyone been warned? No, don't do that. It'll, and you're like, no, 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 I don't care. I just want it. I just want it. The, the easiest example of that's debt, isn't it? You just want it. So you get into debt 
and then suddenly you're regretting it afterwards when it comes time to pay. 1 Samuel 10, 5 to 6, the prophet sends Saul off. And he says this, Samuel's telling him what's going to happen. There's, there's quite a few things he tells him about what's going to happen. But from verse 5, he says, this is next you'll come to Gibeah of God, where there's a Philistine garrison. As you approach the town, you'll run into a bunch of prophets coming down from the shrine, playing harps and tambourines, flutes and drums. Another translation calls it a company of prophets, a band of prophets, a community of prophets. Verse 6 says this, says, Before you know it, the Spirit of God will come on you and you'll be prophesying right along with them. And you'll be transformed. You will be a new person. We didn't just have a group of individuals singing and playing this morning. We had a band. We had a team. If we'd have had a group of individuals just playing and doing what they wanted to do, it would have been a disaster. It would have been a disaster. But fortunately, they had strong leadership. I always stood here directing the group. And I'm sure there were times when maybe, they, maybe the, the guitarist was playing away and he was loving it and he was getting into it and he was really wanting to take it somewhere. And I was saying, no, 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 we need to bring this down. In fact, we actually, if you've noticed, I'll let you into a secret, we all our band have in here and we have a, an extra mic generally the guy who's here and that mic you'll sometimes see them talking you might have noticed you can't hear what he's saying he's talking to the band he's telling them where to go next it might be he's telling them to repeat the chorus or to go into the bridge or maybe he's telling them just to quieten it down a little bit strong leadership he's not asking them and saying hey what do you think guys should we slow this down a little bit and then them kind of voting on it, and the drummer going, yeah, I'm up for that, and the keyboard playing, yeah, I'm up for that, and then the singers going, no, 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 we want to build it up. No, the strong leadership, strong leadership, and it takes it in a direction, and it's needed. I promise you, you wouldn't have enjoyed this if there hadn't been. In fact, biblically, what you see in the Bible, it's interesting about Saul the first king, because he was chosen by the people. The other thing about Saul is that not only did the people go to God and say, God, we want a leader, we want a king like everyone else, they chose him. They chose Saul because they liked the look of him. He was head and shoulders above the rest, it says. He was tall, he looked like a king. Everything about him looked right, and the people chose him. How did that work out for them? Anyone read the story? Anyone confirmed to me that didn't go well, did it? 
that didn't go well at all. In fact, the, the, the man that replaced him, King David, was not man's choice. His own father rejected him. His own father, when the prophet turned up and said, God is going to appoint a leader out of your household, brought every other child to the prophet to say, is it this one? Is it that one? Is it the other one? Many of you know the story. Until eventually, gone through them all, David's out in the field and he says, hey, the prophet says, it's none of them. There must be another one. He's like, nah, <laughs> that's it. He, his own father rejected him. When man chooses a leader, generally in the Bible, it doesn't go well. Story after story after story, when, God, when man chooses the leader, it generally doesn't go well. But when God chooses the leader... When God chooses an anoint, a leader is anointed, not appointed. They're not voted on. They are God chosen. God chooses them. He calls them. He puts his spirit on them for a purpose. He does it. And they face opposition from the ones who don't want him. But anyway, that's another story. There are occasions, there is one example in the New Testament where men choose, but that's with deacons. And deacons were, were basically, they weren't over spiritual things, they were over practical things. So they might have been doing the cafe or running the, te- the, uh, the welcome team or running other teams. And in those ministries, hey, the people decided and that was good. And it's not that those people were any less. Actually, in fact, it, it, I hadn't thought of saying this, but in fact, actually, those people, they were told to choose men who were spirit-filled. So even in those servant positions, they were asked to choose spirit-filled men. But perhaps the greatest New Testament leader, Saul, who became Paul, it's a different Saul, by the way. Yeah, there's more than one Saul in the Bible. We've got more than one name in our church, haven't we? There's only one Barry, I think. There's no other Barrys in the church, is there? More than one of other names. But the apostles were chosen by God. And the greatest of those, Saul, who became known as Paul, he was chosen by God. Miraculously chosen by God. In fact, the church at the time, what about him? Because of his background. But God showed. God showed. Worship team, our leadership team, I would go as far as to say this. You are not yourself anymore you know the bible says don't rush to become a leader in the church have anyone read that verse yeah it says don't rush don't be don't be in a rush to become a leader in the church i'll tell you one of the reasons why right because at the point you become a leader in fact at the point you become a christian if you're doing it right if you be if you're being a christian right wow that's cool there's the anointing isn't it We'll take that as the anointing. At the point you become a leader, I don't need lights, you can listen. At the point you become a leader, church, you no longer exist anymore. Barry Cross is dead. I, I don't exist anymore. Is, have we still got sound? Still got sound? Don't worry about the lights. Can everyone see me? Yeah, we're all right. We don't, don't worry about it. Just let, let it lie. Let it stay as it is. It's fine. I quite like it like this, actually. At that point, I no longer live. No longer I that live, but Christ in me. 
No longer I that live, but Christ in me. Bible says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Don't be fearful of death. We had a great sermon on that last week. Don't be fearful of death. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To live is Christ. It is Christ in you. It is no longer you anymore. You have to put yourself aside. You have to be a part of the community. You have to put the community, the team. If it was the worship team as an example, you have to go forget what I want to do anymore. It's what the band, it's what's best for the church. It's what's best for God. It's what's best for the congregation. It's what's best for the group. It's not about me anymore. But guess what? You know when you get that, when you really understand that, the the greatest thing about it is if you'll persist, if you'll push through, if you'll go with that, even at the times when you desperately don't want the thing that's happening, the direction it's maybe going in, actually that's better for you. That's actually better for you. There's times when I'd have left this church there are times in the past I would have left this church and we offered our, we asked to leave, we asked the pastor to leave and she said no. Some of you might be saying I wish you'd have said yeah, but anyway. <laughs> but I wouldn't be where I am now if I'd have left, would I? I wouldn't be here. Don't worry about it, Paul. Let it lie, mate. It's good. It's all fine. Every community, every team needs leadership. Leadership brings about unity. Leadership sorts out the direction. Without leaders, everyone's pulling in their own direction. Imagine a boat with everyone wanting to go in their own direction. Everyone rowing in different directions. Where on earth would it get to? Where would it get to? But it needs a leader. Are we done? (laughs) It's distracting, mate. Is it, you're right, you need to do it, that's good. I'm not selling him off there. Sorry if, I, if that wasn't good. Every team needs a leader. Every team needs a leader because a leader gives unity of purpose. One direction. God has called us to be one. Not many, but one. One bride. Christ only has one bride. Just like we're only meant to have, guys, one bride, not two, just one. God has one bride, or Christ, God's son, has one bride. One bride, us, one, unity. And leadership brings about that unity of direction, that unity of purpose. And God knows our nation needs it, needs it let alone our church. Unity means we're not individuals. We are united. Psalm 133 says this, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. Another translation says unity. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard. Flowing down the collar of his priestly robes, it's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing and ordains eternal life. Come on. That's where God commands the blessing and ordains eternal life. That's why we don't take kind of requests for songs and stuff like that. We're going with one unity, one purpose in a direction. Under leadership. 
Is it always perfect leadership? No. Was David God's leader? Was he always perfect? Did he always get it right? Did he make mistakes? He made mistakes in his own family, let alone leading the house of God. But that nation prospered under David's leadership. The greatest in all of Israel's history was in David's era and the foundation was laid in David's leadership as an anointed man of God. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Seven things God hates. Says this, it says, there are six things God, oh, sorry, that's the kind of title they put in your Bible. Listen to this. Verse 16 says this. Here are six things God hates. Things God hates. And one more that he loathes. Another translation puts it, an abomination. An abomination is something that is wholly and completely against God. You hear that? An abomination is something that is wholly and completely against God. They are eyes that are arrogant and a tongue that lies, hands that murder the innocent, a heart that hatches evil plots, feet that race down a wicked track, a mouth that lies under oath. And what do you think the seventh one is? The one that's an abomination, a troublemaker in the family. You know, when things don't go your way, don't be a troublemaker in the family. God detests it. It is an abomination against him. Bring unity in the family. Listen, I am sure every single one of us has caused trouble at some point in the family, in the family of God, in the household of God. We have all done it. This isn't about kind of having a go at anyone or saying, you know, that's it, you're out of the kingdom. But God's saying, don't do it. Don't do it. It's wholly wrong. God calls this the family of God. Second thing is sacrifice. The second thing is sacrifice. We need to be prepared to sacrifice, to put God above everything else, to put the company purpose, the purpose of the church above our own needs. That needs to be key. Not our own individual agendas, but here to serve the common goal. Here to say, hey, what's going on here? The, the, the united purpose that God has got is more important than my own individual agenda, than what I want, the way I want to see it go, the thing I want to see done. No, what God wants here is more important than that. And I'm willing to lay aside what I want for what God wants. Amen. Third one is power, company power. Wow, we've got the team coming up. You're a bit early, you know. I've not finished yet. Hey, we've not got the keyboard player yet, have we? That's good. Josh, carry on playing. Did anyone know I can play keyboard? Hiding my light under a bushel. Are we on? Are we on, yeah, is that, is that good? Carry on playing, Josh. Should we have some drums, Ad? Come on, kick in with the drums, son. How was that? How was that? 
was bad, wasn't it? That was like, that was, that was literally, did it scare anyone? Wait, the baby, sorry. You see, that, that baby is new. Is it, is it a boy or a girl? A girl, what's her name? Jessica. That baby Jessica didn't like that, did she? She's not been taught not to like that. She's not been taught about musical arrangements and accompaniments and all of those things. She just didn't like that. She knew inherently that was wrong. That was out of harmony. There was something wrong with that. It was, it was, you, you don't need to be trained to know that was wholly wrong, wasn't it? Power comes from unity. The word symphony, heard of the word symphony? The exact opposite of what that was. The word symphony comes from the word, I didn't notice till the other night, agreement. The word symphony comes from the word agreement. Did you know that some of you will, will, will have quoted anyone being in a prayer meeting where there's only two or three of you? Any of you done that, yeah? Anyone quoted, hey, where two or three are gathered? Anyway, yeah, yeah. Anyone who doesn't know that, but there's a verse in the Bible that says, where two or three are gathered together there in my name, and you know, and, and I'll be there in the midst and all of that stuff, yeah? You, you know the one I'm on about? Do you know it says in agreement? Do you know it says in agreement? It says in agreement. It's not the fact that there's two or three of you that causes Jesus to be there. You see, there's, we've got three musicians here. Should I do it again and show you what happens when... <laughs> see, there's three of us. We could kind of play, couldn't we? Me, Paul and Josh, and there's three of us. We could say, hey, Jesus, they're in the midst of our music. Do you reckon he's there? I don't think he is. I don't think he was in that a minute ago. I don't think he was any part of that a minute ago. But I think if we got a, a, a keyboard player up and they've joined in and played along in symphony together with a, with a maestro. Who's the maestro? What's his role? To lead, to bring unity, to bring a unity of purpose, a unity of direction. I think that would be different. I think Jesus would be there in the midst of that. Symphon symphony, agreement. In fact, um, Oh, what's the guy's name? He wrote a book about it. In fact, I, I, I'll, get, I'll find the name of this book. And one of the best books I've ever read was by a Christian author from uh, maybe 180 years ago. And uh, Vin, Norman Vincent Peale, anyone heard of him? Really, really powerful, powerful book. And he talks in it about that about prayer. Um, the other guy who, uh, the Bible college that Brenda went to, what's the guy? Andrew Womack. Womack in his book about prayer talks about it as well. Prayer is about more about agreement. You know when you're praying, right? Before you start praying, so many people want to start praying first. Before, have you ever been at a meeting and you've met for 30 minutes to discuss it and then had two minutes of prayer and anyone ever thought, that seems wrong? Like we should be having 30 minutes of prayer and two minutes of agreement, yeah? Sounds like the right thing to do. It's not. Jesus wants your agreement. When two or three come together in agreement, in unity, together, 
agreeing on a thing and taking that together to God, he says, it will be done. He says, it will be done. He says, we're two or three to agree together in my name. It will be done. Where they agree, but so often we want to, we sit there. So here's the thing. If you're with two other people praying and the three you're getting together and you suspect one of them doesn't agree with you, but they're just saying amen at the end, don't expect our prayer to work. Don't expect it to work. Go find someone that agrees with you. And hey, you know what? If you can't find someone who agrees with you, maybe your prayer is wrong. Hey, Lord, I really want a helicopter. Lord, bless me with a helicopter. Bless me with a helicopter. Will someone join in with me with that prayer? I would hope all of you would say, no, Barry, you don't need a helicopter. Yeah? Sounds like there's almost a... A, a reason why uh, behind the agreement that God's putting a, something in there that we can't all just go with our own agendas that we need other people to agree with us we need to be together in unity we need to be agreeing on things fourth thing is company message Genesis says he, God said he created man in our image anyone ever noticed that read that and thought it sounds strange that it says God says we you know created them male and female we created them in our image remember first reading that as a brand new Christian in fact I wasn't even a Christian I would say when I first read that and I was like in our image what does that mean that's bad English it just sounds like the grammar's wrong and everything you know what I'm on about yeah because God is unity three in one God is unity. There is no disunity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God says, we were created. He says, I created them in our image. In our image. Lord's Prayer, we heard. What's the, anyone know the Lord's Prayer? Go on, what's the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, no. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's your prayer. That's your prayer. Your prayer. The Lord's prayer. Who said John 17? Well done, Bill. Good job, Bill. Yeah. The Lord's prayer is John 17. That was Jesus' prayer. The one that people call the Lord's prayer was the prayer that the Lord gave for you to pray. It wasn't his prayer. His prayer was John 17. And if we could get verses 9 to 11 up, it says this, it says, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me. Think about this. He's not praying at this point for the world. His prayer is for us, for us. Jesus praying for us, church first, the church. Because they belong to you. And he's talking to his father to God all who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me so they bring me glory and you have given them to me so they bring me glory when we are the church when we are united when we are one we bring Jesus glory glory to God glory to God now I am departing from this world. They are staying in this world. That's us. Jesus has gone. He's departed, but we're still here for now. We're still here for now. He says, now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me 
your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united. So that they will be united. Not in division, not backbiting, not being detesting one another or causing problems in the family, but that they will be united just as we are. We are Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's saying, we're united in heaven. Come on. We're united in heaven, God's saying. I want you to be. You have to be. You've got to be. You've got to be united. We've got to be one. We've got, it's not a, it's not a question. It's not a kind of, what were the two greatest commandments? Forget the 10 commandments, they're irrelevant. Jesus said, forget them. He said the most important commandments are love God and love each other. They're the most important commandments because on them, everything else hangs. They're like the curtain pole. They are the curtain pole. What happens to the curtains if we take the pole down? So important. So how do we do it? I'm winding up. I've, I've, got, I've got minus 10 minutes. Are we all right for a few more minutes? You sure? Do you want to know how we do this? Yeah? No? All right, I'll do it quickly. Number one. And it's difficult because I'm the one saying this, but Eli will, will promise you that I'm quoting what was said the other day. The first one is this, submit to your leaders. And I'm not just on about me and Vicky. I'm on about if you're in the worship team, submit to the leader of the worship team. If you're in the kids team, submit to the leader of the kids team. If you're on the cafe, helping out in the cafe, submit to the person who's running that. If you're on the welcome team, submit to the person who's running that. If you're doing branding, submit to the person who's, who's the branding manager. If you're part of the PA team, submit who's running PA. Whatever it is that you're doing, submit to your leader. Uh, um, yeah, Hebrews 17 says it won't be good for you if you don't. Says that. Honour your leaders. Some don't like this. But anyone seen Nanny McPhee? Any of you seen Nanny McPhee? Nanny McPhee, this one for the kids. Nanny McPhee says this, doesn't she? She says, when you want me but you don't need me, I won't be there. But when you need me but you don't want me, I'll be there. When you need me but you don't want me. Leadership's a bit like that. You might not want it, but you need it. Without it, you need it. We all need it. I need it. You need it. We all need it. We need it. Second one, and this is seek the good of others. Don't come to church for your own benefit. It's the, one of the most basic principles of Christianity. Putting others first. Preferring others. Anyone heard that phrase? Yet how often, church, do we want our own way and our own thing and the thing that we want? Prefer others. Come here for the benefit of others. Guess what? You'll be more blessed than if you come for your own benefit, seeking solely what you want. Do you know if I want to be a great keyboard player? Do you know what I've got to do? I've got to learn to play the keyboard. 
I've got to learn the notes that go together to create a chord rather than just doing what I did 10, 20 minutes ago or whatever it was. If you want to be free, seek the good of others and be disciplined. Choose discipline. Choose submission. Choose to learn to live the life well. Read the Bible. Study it. Learn it. Go to life groups and learn to live in community. Learn to do those things and then you'll be good at it. Then you'll find true freedom. The third one, seek Christ at the centre. Seek Jesus right at the centre. He's at the centre of this. If there's five, number three is in the middle. Seek Christ at the centre. When you put him in the centre, what he prayed for, what he wants, not what you want, but what Christ wants, when we all do that, then, then, then we will have the most amazing community, the most amazing church. We will transform this town. Transform this town. Number four, live a larger life. Diversity. Instead of just your own little things and what you want and your own vision, get a hold of a bigger vision. Ask God for a bigger vision. Ask God to be a part of a greater vision. Ask God to be a part of something great. Ask God for us to be a part of something great. And instead of just your own, hey, I want to do this with my life, I want to do that with my life, choose to be a part of something greater, something bigger than yourself, something where you have to be a part of something, something where you have to submit to others, something where you have to be a part of a team for it to work It'll transform your life. And finally, come to serve. Real community works where 100% of people are involved. Do you know the, the things we get, we heard on Wednesday night, I'll finish with this, and worship team, are we all up ready? Come on. The things we get when we come to church, the first thing we get is the message. The first thing we get when we come to God and we come to church is the message. God gives us the message of truth and of righteousness and salvation and all of those things. The second thing we get is we get fellowship. We get people. And the third thing we get is joy. We get joy. But guess what? You know when you leave the church, you know people who have left the church, do you know what the first thing they lose is? Joy. The first thing they lose is joy. When people stop coming to church, when they decide that, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing it anymore, first thing they lose is the joy. The second thing they lose is the fellowship. It goes in the end. It can, you can't sustain it. They try and they say they will, but it goes in the end because how can you have fellowship with people who are going a different way than you? It's not possible. And the third thing is the message. The message. Suddenly it gets corrupted. Suddenly you create your own message. Suddenly it's all coming from your head because you're not getting it from the church. So many people have become corrupt when they've done it their own way, on their own. But guess what? In community there's protection. In community there's safety. In community there's unity. In community we look out for each other. All of those things come from community. Let's do it, church. We do this 
We'll have the most amazing community, the most amazing church in Warrington. God bless you.